This episode is brought to you by Morty, Buzzshot, Cogs, and Patreon supporters like you. Cogs by Clockwork Dog is an easy-to-use platform for running interactive events, specializing in escape rooms. They have plug-and-play hardware that seamlessly integrates with their software, so you can create a show with lighting and sound cues, all without having to write a single line of code. Map different kinds of inputs and outputs by building up simple logic steps which determine what you want to happen and when. If you're new to immersive tech, COGS is perfect for you. Using simple building blocks, you can create any kind of puzzle in the software and their system will tell the hardware exactly what to do. And if you're a seasoned maker, they have an abundance of tools to expand your capabilities. Create any form of logic by using their expression language. Build your own plugins for external software or hardware and create your own custom content for screens for things like touchscreen gaming. The COG starter set is normally valued at $257, but our listeners can get the starter set today for only $130 with free shipping to the U.S. You can learn more and purchase your COGS starter set at COGS.show. Use code REPOD at checkout. That's R-E-P-O-D. Link and details in the show notes. Welcome to the Reality Escape Pod, your lifeline when you need a getaway from the real world. I'm David Spira, alongside my co-host, PG Law. Together, we're exploring immersive gaming from all angles, and we'll be joined by guests who really know their stuff. And today, we are going to be doing something a little bit different. I am taking over hosting duties to bring you our first annual Halloween Spooktacular Special Variety Show. And we have got some great guests today. In fact, they are all returning Repod guests. With us today is Tommy Haunton, creator of Stash House, who we first interviewed in Season 3, Episode 7. And he has just embarked on his next adventure because you recently got married. I did. I feel like there should be a lightning strike cue after everything now and like a creepy like scream or something. But I'll yes. add it in post. Thank you. <laughs> you could say like uh, cue the lightning or whatever. Cue the lightning. <laughs> and we also have Anne and Chris Lukeman from CU Adventures who were guests on our very first season, episode four, and they also gave a fantastic talk about adaptive gameplay at Recon Remote, which is now available to watch on YouTube. Welcome back. Hello. Thank you for having us. We're so excited. (laughs) I can't wait to play games with you guys. And David is going to be my last victim today, and he has no idea what to expect. This is very unusual for you, David. I have no idea. Call for help. She's locked me in the basement and stolen the show. We are going to be playing a bunch of fun, spooky-themed games and maybe sharing some interesting Halloween facts or stories. So how are you guys feeling? You're ready for some Halloween trivia? We are. Always. I know, <laughs> I know you guys play on a trivia team together sometimes, right? Yes, Tommy and I often uh, will play online trivia together. We're, we're a very good team. I hope this will be hard enough for you. Most of these were things that I did not know about. So all of this trivia was news to me. Folks at home, light a candle, grab a cozy blanket and a mug of pumpkin spiced hot cocoa because we are launching into our first game. And the first game is trivia. I have asked everybody to choose a Halloween phrase or sound as their buzzer. So speaking of pumpkin spice, what is pumpkin spice? Boo. Tommy. It's the seasoning that goes into pumpkin pie. So it doesn't actually contain pumpkin. Okay. But what is it? Uh, Nutmeg. Okay. Cinnamon. Uh Uh-huh. And allspice. Sometimes allspice, you're missing two more ingredients. Ah, that should count as partial credit. Wahaha. Oh, Anne. Can I, can I steal? You guys can each split half a point. I'm going to guess clove. 
Yes. And ginger? Ginger! Ding! You guys got it. Good team. See, you guys do make a good team. Pumpkin spice is cinnamon, nutmeg, ginger, cloves, and sometimes allspice. But I am, I'm pretty impressed. What does hollow mean in Halloween? Mwahaha. <laughs> Anne. Hollowed, because it's the day after All Souls Day, or it's, it's All Souls Day, All Saints Day. It's related to uh, thinking about the dead. Again, I feel like this is a half a point answer because you are close. You're getting closer, but that's not exactly what hollowed means. Boo? Tommy. Is it holy? It means holy, like walking on hollowed ground. Uh, But a hollow is actually a saint. So you would say hollowed ground is an adjective, but when you use the word hollow, it, it does technically mean a saint, somebody that is holy or sacred. So Halloween is short for All Hollows Evening. A follow-up question. In the correct spelling of Halloween, which, like I just said, is short for All Hollows Evening, where is the apostrophe supposed to be? Buzz. <laughs> David. <laughs> I think it's between the E's. It is between the E's. You are correct, because it is where the V was dropped. So it would be hollow in. <laughs> Good. What sort of mask does Michael Myers wear in the original Buzz Halloween movie? Oh, Tommy, let me. <laughs> he buzzed in for me. <laughs> Jeopardy rules. If you, uh, if you buzz in early, you can't buzz in. All right. Was that oh. is that a Tommy buzz in? Sorry, I didn't realize we had established that. I, I'm used to Scholars Bowl or a scholastic team where you can buzz in early, but you lose a point if you get it wrong. Uh, that's okay. Yeah. Tommy, go. Tell yours. It's a Captain Kirk mask painted white from Star Trek. Close enough. It was a $2 William Shatner mask. <laughs> yes, that they spray painted white. <laughs> Wait, but were people going as William Shatner, but not Captain Kirk at the time? <laughs> yeah. Wait, they're, they're, they're big fans of TJ Hooker. Okay, okay. All right. <laughs> All right. I had no idea about that. If only he spoke like uh, William Shatner while coming to kill people. (laughs) I'm coming to kill the babysitter. (laughs) What was candy corn originally called? Buzz. David. Trash. (laughs) (laughs) A candy corn hater. (laughs) uh, Boo. Yep. Candy teeth? Diseased teeth? No. It was originally called chicken feed. It looks like dried corn, like chicken feed. I do believe I'm still correct. Yeah, the chicken said, but the chicken said no. They're like, this is terrible. Not even woolly at this. <laughs> what is a gibbet? Oh, say again? Can you use it in a sentence? No, <laughs> but I'll spell it. <laughs> what is a gibbet? It is spelled G-I-B-B-E-T. Boo? Yeah, Tommy. Is it something pilgrims wear? No. Mwahaha. <laughs> Anne. Is it a place where a person is hung? Yes. Whoa. It is another term for a gallows, which is one of those upright posts with the projecting arm and where criminals would be executed by hanging. From the children's game. (laughs) This just strikes me as one of those things where like the importance of something to a society, you can correlate to how many words they have for it. So I'm sure we all probably know this, but... What famous magician died on Halloween? Buzz. David. Harry Houdini. That is correct. I was astounded when I found this fact out. Like, what a what a Houdini thing to do. Get punched in the stomach and die. <laughs> so one particular serial killer inspired the movies Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Boo. Psycho, and Silence of the Lambs. Who was it? Ed Gein. Ed Gein. Tommy apparently done a lot of research. My my parents did the really smart thing and gave me a trivia book about grotesque facts when I was a little kid. And I would read these facts aloud, which my sisters were like, why did you give him this book? And it explains a lot. But it talked about how Ed Gein had boxes of noses and lampshades made of skin and had a very inappropriate relationship with his mother, who was dead. And uh, yeah, I learned that as a child. So thanks, mom. Thanks, dad. (laughs) Yeah, Ed Gein was known as the Butcher of Plainfield. And when police entered his home in Wisconsin in November of 1957, following the disappearance of a local woman, it was a house of horrors. And like you said, I mean, this is some gruesome stuff, but there were a lot of 
grisly objects that he had created from the remains of his victims. Got a few more. Which of these Halloween films was not directed by Tim Burton? I have multiple choice. Frankenweenie, Corpse Bride, Beetlejuice, or The Nightmare Before Christmas? Oh, I'm I'm going to go... Yeah, Anne. <laughs> All right, Anne. Anne. Tim Burton did not direct The Nightmare Before Christmas. Yes, I did not know that. The Nightmare Before Christmas was produced and conceived by Tim Burton, but it was directed by Henry Selick. What is the name of the Celtic festival that gave birth to what we now call Halloween? <laughs> Anne, and if you can pronounce this correctly, I will be very impressed. I'm not sure if I'm going to pronounce it correctly, but Samane? It is spelled like it, it. It is spelled like it would be pronounced. Samhain is S A M H A I N, but it is pronounced Sowen. Yeah, that makes sense. Just throw throw out most of the middle letters there. <laughs> I had to look this up. So the Celts celebrated Sowen thousands of years ago, which marked the end of summer and the harvest and the beginning of the dark, cold winter. And I have a follow up question. What is the phobia of Halloween called? Eek. <laughs> Chris. Is it being a Halloweeny? <laughs> <laughs> I say he gets the points. Yeah. yeah, Chris gets a point for that. We'll give you a point for that. Chris is on the board. The phobia of Halloween is called sowenophobia. Ah. That yeah. makes sense why it was a follow-up question. What is a group of witches called? Buzz. Oh, that was, uh, was that David? David. I don't know. My, my, I think my buzzer is dominant. Um, <laughs> <laughs> coven? Yes, a coven. What was the first film made that was based on Stephen King's writing? Wahaha. Anne. Carrie. Carrie, the 1979 classic starring Sissy Spacek, and it was the first of more than 100 film and television productions adapted from or based on the published works of Stephen King. That Stephen King has done all right for himself. I think that's his first published book, too, right? Oh, I don't. I'd have to look that up. Possibly. Which movie did he direct? The only movie he's ever directed. Oh, boy. Maximum Overdrive about killer cars. That's the one. And he was, it's fun to read. He does not remember directing it because he was so high on cocaine the entire time. He says he does not remember a lick of that movie. (laughs) And if you watch it, you can tell. (laughs) Last one. Who or what is Mummy Brown? Boo. Tommy. It is a pigment that actually used real mummies to achieve the uh, wonderful effect of getting the right brown. Yes, Mummy Brown. And I only know about this because I'm into watercolor. Mummy Brown was an Egyptian brown pigment with a pretty good transparency, uh, sitting between burnt umber and raw umber in tint. And it was made from the flesh of actual mummies, both human and feline. And it was mixed with white pitch and myrrh. And it was very popular in the mid-18th to the 19th centuries. But however, as fresh supplies of mummies diminished, artists were less satisfied with what they had to offer. And we now do not, we no longer use mummy brown. (laughs) I'm just picturing the conversations that must have been happening where people were like, they just don't make the mummy brown like they used to. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder who it was that decided to first, you know, these artists must have been trying to make pigments from everything is all I can figure. And that is it for trivia. How are we on points? We had some half points there, so I'm not sure exactly how this goes, but I believe that Tommy had four and a half points. Chris had one point. Well earned. David had three points. And I also had four and a half points. So I think Tommy and I tied. All right. Congrats, guys. Tommy, what have you prepared for us today? So I went to college in St. Louis and ah, yeah, (laughs) I also grew up in Kansas. So I'm from the Midwest and St. Louis, I figured was a lot like Wichita, Kansas, my hometown. I grew up trick-or-treating, always seeking out the rich areas that gave away full-size or king-size candy bars. So when I was in college, I finally got an off-campus apartment. And I decided it'd be fun to give out candy to kids in the neighborhood. And it was great. So I was 
surprised when the first kid that comes up tells me a joke. And I was like, okay, that's, that's cute. And then progressively, every kid that came up told me a joke. I was like, is this a coordinated neighborhood thing? A girl that I liked at the time is from St. Louis. So we were hanging out and she was like, yeah, this is normal. What are you talking about? You're joking, right? I'm like, no, I'm not joking. This is weird. I've never heard of this before. And she's like, no, it's normal. People tell jokes on Halloween to get their candy. And turns out it is a regional thing, explicitly St. Louis. It is a common thing. That's amazing. Yeah, I thought it was so magical and I fell in love with it. And I'm like, that makes sense. In my mind, trick or treat is like kids just going up entitled, asking for candy. And so I started giving up more candy to jokes that I liked. I actually found it a very charming tradition. I wish more kids would instill that. So when Marley and I have a kid, that kid is telling jokes at Halloween. Now, do the kids also say trick or treat or they just launch into the joke? Some kids are really good at doing both, but a lot of kids will just launch right into the joke. Some kids also don't sell it. You can tell it's like the 30th or 50th or 90th house they've been to and they're not, they're they're out of it. Oh, these kids probably don't even realize that they're bombing. Exactly. And I would kind of give the ones that weren't funny, I'd give milk duds or something. And the ones that did really well, I give like three Snickers. You get a dud for your dud joke. <laughs> I love milk duds. I'm, so, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I wonder, Tommy's like king of the dad jokes. I know. I was over the moon. I loved it. Were they all pretty standard jokes or would you get like observational humor or? Like a stand-up comic? <laughs> there weren't a lot of one-liners. There were a lot of Laffy Taffy style jokes. I would love like a Seinfeld style bit where someone just came up and did, you know, a three minute set. I would love that. I'm just picturing a tiny Lewis Blake ranting on your front steps. <laughs> it would make me so happy just to have like the sons or daughters of comedians going out and doing routines. I got to memorize more jokes. I feel like there's so many times I'm in an escape room and the game master makes you pay for your hint with a joke. And I've, I've got one. I've got one standard go-to joke that I use just for situations like that. Which is? <laughs> I'm going to need to hear that joke, PG. <laughs> knock, knock. Who's there? Lettuce. Lettuce who? Lettuce out! At least it's on theme. That's great. (laughs) I know that Anne and Chris prepared a game also. Do you guys want to do your game now? Yeah. The game we have for you three is called The Price is Fright. (laughs) Cue lightning! The way you play this game, we are going to say a word. Your job is to guess how many currently open in-person escape room games in the world that are listed on Morty have that word in the title of the game. Okay. Oh oh my God. Okay. This is like counting the jar of candy corn that was on your teacher's desk. It's just a completely arbitrary guess, basically. So we're going to do the Price is Right rules. Price is Fright rules. Sorry, the Price is Fright rules for whoever's (laughs) closest without going over. Okay. Okay. Does that all make sense? Yes. Yes. All right. So I have four categories to pick from, and each category has several words within it. Um, Our categories are places, monsters, universal monsters, and vibes. We're going to have to do this kind of round robin style. So I'm just going to say, Tommy, pick a category. I'm curious what vibes entails. Let's go there. Vibes. All right. Our first word is horror. How many currently open escape room games in the world as listed on Morty? I'm going to say 13. 13. I know of multiple, so I'm hoping that I am extrapolating correctly. 13th, it could be its own word in this. (laughs) Yeah, fair. I'll say 14. Nice. Uh, See, is is the game now to come to low ball so we don't go above? Because I was thinking like 30. This is worldwide. That's the question. Do you go with a higher number or do you go with $1? Okay, so if it's over 30, then I got it in the bag. So I'll just say 30. All right. The correct number is 59. So, PG, you get the points for this one. (laughs) Okay. We'll keep going down vibes. The next one, and David, you're going to be up first for this. Slasher. 13. Y'all are sticking with that 13. PG? Uh, You know, Slasher doesn't 
it feels very American. I don't know how much this word would be used worldwide. So I do feel like I want to go with a lower number for this. But since David has already cornered the market on 13, I guess I'll say 10. All right, Tommy. I will have to say 14. Well, this one is actually a surprise. Only three. Only three escape rooms. rooms. So like there's some there's some opportunity out there, folks. So do I win? Do I win again? No, I think no one wins that one. No one gets the point for Slasher. Oh, because we still all went over. Dang. Maybe we get the point, Chris? Yeah, we get the point. point. You get the point. Yeah. Okay. Adding another column to the score. (laughs) It's the price is fright. And if anyone can guess the number exactly, they immediately get 10 points. Ooh. Yeah, that sounds good. Your next word is spooky. Do we count spooky? Your word is spooky. The way I did this was... I only used the word, so if people misspelled the word in any way, they didn't get it. And if the word was modified slightly, so if there was one that was e-spooky or something like that, I don't know what that doesn't make sense. If, if the word was modified but still retained the meaning of spooky, I would count it. But spoopy would not count in this circumstance. See, you know, now I understand why everyone's leading with 13, because I feel like spooky, how many escape? I don't, do I even know? I only know of one that's named spoopy. Uh, you know, I feel like it's a. It may be a relatively decent number. I'm gonna say twenty. Ten. David. One. 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 I love that one dollar. So the actual number. I thought this was high too. Forty-five. Whoa! She gets the point once more. I was really surprised by that. This is your game. All right. So the last one for the vibes category is, in fact, spoopy. <laughs> Tommy, you have the board. <laughs> This is not fair. (laughs) We've already discussed this one. All right. Does anybody have any other guesses? I believe it is two. I believe it is two as well. Uh, You know what? Everybody gets 10 points. (laughs) Everybody gets 10 points for that one. You guys called your shot too early. We'll give Tommy. Tommy gets gets 10 points because he guessed it first. David, pick a category. You have places, monsters, and universal monsters. Break my heart with asylum. Let's do places. Places. All right. (laughs) First up, cabin. Now, at this point, we do want to point out we're not making fun of a ton of escape rooms that have the same name. We have had two separate escape rooms that have had cabin in the name. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) All right. I'm feeling whose turn is it to go first? Uh, So David will go first this time. One hundred. I feel like it must be a lot. I was going to guess 50, but David's at 100. You know, I'm going to go. I'm going to go 63. 63. Tommy, what you got? 101. 101. The uh, count, and I had to remove a lot of ones that had the name cabinet in there to get this, was <laughs> 235. So Tommy gets the point on that wow. one. Wow. There are a lot of cabins. Yeah, cabinet. I guess like Lion Witch in the Wardrobe style or? There's a lot of cabinets of curiosities. Oh. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes, that sense. makes sense. Almost good enough for its own category, but. Not spooky enough. I don't think cabinets are spooky. All right. Next up, as David called it, Asylum. Okay, I'm going first. Asylum, there's got to be like, I'm going to say 200. 200 for Asylum. 250. Well, I'll see your 200 and raise you 50, sir. I didn't want to say 201 and have David go 202. David's going to say 251. I can tell you that much. (laughs) (laughs) One. Oh, oh, he's Uh underbidding us. Okay. So this was one of the categories that I had to take a lot of the haunted houses out once I realized that the data set had both of them in there. And so once I did that, we arrived at the number of 149. So David gets the win on that one. Dollar wins. Very close. Come on. Of note, Morty has added haunts. Enjoy Morty. So this is like, I know the podcast is sponsored by Morty. This section, Morty was just the best choice to get this data set from. This is just a delightful bit of corporate synergy. Yeah. All right. (laughs) And spreadsheets. Next up for places, mortuary. Mortuary. See, that feels like a less common term. I'm going to say, you know, I'm going to go 13 on this one. 13 for mortuary. Maybe feels a little more clinical, maybe less spooky, but spooky place to be anyway. Tommy. 25. 25 for mortuary. David. One. (laughs) The low ball? 
comes out again. Yes. I only know of one. I was very surprised by this. There are only five games with Mortuary really? in their names. Yeah, see, I knew it me. was going to be low, just not that low. Yeah, I think there's a real market for that. More Mortuary <laughs> games. Okay, we've got one more in places. And for this one, I had to go through and remove all of the ones that were cryptic, cryptid, and one that was crypto. Your word is crypt. Crypt. 33. 34. Oh, boy. Okay, then I'm going to go 35 because I'm feeling pretty good about it. Okay, that's justice. That's justice right there. Oh, so sandwiched. (laughs) 35. All right. So the actual answer is 38. That point goes to PG. Okay, we have done the places category. So now we'll do, I think, one more because there's three of you. So we'll do three categories. So PG, you will pick a category between monsters and universal monsters. Let's just say monsters in general. Just your basic monsters. Yeah. So your first one, vampire. David is up first. Let's go with 50. 50. You know, I'm feeling pretty good at like 100 for vampire. I feel like vampires actually must probably be in the hundreds, but I'm, I'm going to play it safe with 100. 100 for vampire. So now my trick is do I go 51 or 101? You can see him doing math in his head, folks. <laughs> the, the hamster is running on the wheel. <laughs> I will go with 101. Well, well, well. The correct number for vampire is 58. Oh, what? Yes. 58 <laughs> for vampire. There must be iterations of vampire spelled with a Y or something weird that you guys have not accommodated into your research. Like That's probably <laughs> true. I did this research very fast. I do not think we checked for the Y, but... <laughs> no, we did not. I, I guarantee you there'll be 101 of those. Well, there's also a lot that are Dracula and not vampire. That was my mistake. Was thinking uh, Dracula splitting mm-hmm. the vote. Mm. That's why third party candidates don't work. Dracula. <laughs> yeah. So this one is uh, a word we all know and love in the escape room. Does community. anybody have any guesses for a monster? It must be werewolf, zombie, Frankenstein, zombie. zombie. Oh, of course, zombie. I'm going back to a hundred. I'm feeling good about zombie. All right, Tommy. 150. Whoa. Big swing. Oh, give me 200, Bob. So the correct answer is 213. So David gets the point again. (laughs) Imagine if you had said 213. I almost said 113 just to be extra spooky about it. (laughs) Your next word is ghost. Ghost. I think it's Tommy. You're up. 33. Whoa. No love for ghost, huh? 33 ghost. It's to David. 10. 10. Lowballing. I'm going to say 34. Love that math. So the correct answer is actually 87, several of which are, uh, of course, the beloved Ghost Hunter Ernie Hudson games over in Germany. So that point goes to PG. Woohoo! We've got one more, and that is Witch, which I did have to remove one game that had the word switch in it. <laughs> Just one though. A hundred and one. One fifty. Tommy. One fifty one. Excellent job, Tommy. The correct answer is hundred and sixty one. So Tommy gets the point on that one. Snatched. It's amazing just how close y'all are getting. Yeah, you guys <laughs> clearly know your stuff. I believe PG has 14, David has 15, and Tommy has 22, but the points don't matter because this is all nonsense. (laughs) (laughs) And that was The Price is Fright. Lightning cue! Well done. That was very clever. Yeah, love it. Thanks to Morty for uh, supplying your data. And haunts are now available on Morty. Extra plug. BuzzShot is escape room software powering business growth, player marketing, and improving the customer experience. They offer an assortment of pre and post game features, including robust waiver management, branded team photos, and streamlined review management for Yelp, TripAdvisor, Google Reviews, and Morty. BuzzShot 
now has integration with Repod sponsor Cogs for all of your technology needs. Buzzshot has an automated system for creating branded team photos. I love photos that have all the details to help me remember which room I played, like the name of the room, the company logo. And I especially love when special effects are added, like maybe a ghostly figure that appears. Imagine the possibilities for seasonal promotions, like adding a Christmas graphic or even the company logo if you're running a team building game. Buzzshot truly helps create memories for your guests. Lizzie Conlon from Palace Games says, we are huge fans of Buzzshot. It is a great time saver and customer pleaser. Streamline your marketing and grow your escape room business. Repod listeners get an extended free trial and 20% off your first three months with no setup fees or hidden charges. Visit buzzshot.com slash repod, that's R-E-P-O-D, to learn more. Link and details in the show notes. I have another game prepared that is called Even Monsters Need Love. The way this works is you are going to guess the monster or villain from their dating profile. Each monster is going to have three sentences from their profile. And the way this will work is you can lock in your vote after one clue for three points. You can lock in after two clues for two points and after all three clues for one point. Y'all ready? I was born ready. Okay, so our first bachelor or bachelorette looking for fellow spooky season aficionados pagans preferred especially virgins their second clue no social media queens please don't expect me to take bathroom selfies with you i'll lock that in i will also lock mine in yeah me too chris chris is holding out yeah no i think i got it The last one is likes, wine and nightlife, dislikes, Italian food. So, David, who do you have? Dracula. Dracula. Yes, you guys are all correct. It was vampire or Dracula. So that's two points for everybody. The next one. First clue. All of my photos are real. No filters here. And I'm especially good at doing my own makeup. Nobody jumping on it. Second clue. I'm great with children. In fact, I'm looking to get several of my own. Okay. Third clue. I do live below ground level. Oh. But don't worry. It's quite spacious yet cozy. Although sometimes I got a rat problem and there's kind of a weird smell down here. Tommy, you look like you got it. Pennywise. Pennywise, it is. I think I was too late with that. That's what I thought after two, but I was not confident enough to lock it in. Had to ramp the levels of clues up. All right. Our next dating contestant. The first clue. I'm a little bit shy, but at least I'm quite handsome and a spiffy dresser. Second clue is no deadbeats here. I own my own business and property. Plus, I got my own house. Three, I'm kind of a mama's boy, but that means I was raised right. All right, we got some nods after the third clue. David? I'm I'm reaching for a name and it's not coming. (laughs) (laughs) I think I got it. I got it. And then Chris? Norman Bates. That's the name I was reaching for. Psycho guy, but then I got there. Norman Bates from Psycho, that's right. He owned his own house, and he's kind of a mama's boy. Uh, I had it, and I couldn't formulate words. Our next monster who's looking for love. I'm a cozy kind of gal, and I love nothing more than an evening cuddled up by candlelight. Second clue. I probably spend a little too much time in the bathroom getting ready, but I promise it's worth it. No takes on number two, huh? Okay. I'll lock it in. I'll lock it in. I'll lock it in. David and Anne are locking it. I'll take a stab. Tommy's stabbing it. (laughs) I'm going to hold out. Okay. 
Sorry, I'm not that great at responding to messages, but I'll always respond by the third time you call. Yeah. I shouldn't have held out. <laughs> Who are your guesses? Bloody, Bloody Mary. Mary. Bloody Mary. Bloody Mary. Oh, oh, we only needed it three times. Oops, she about to show up. <laughs> oh, crap. And our next monster who's looking for love. If you're the type to be rude to waiters, don't bother. I'm only looking for well-mannered dates. Clue number two. I'm very well-educated with a refined palate. Buzz. Okay, David's locking in at clue number two. I've got mine locked in, too. I'm going to lock mine in. Okay, and lone holdout. Oh, no. Our ideal first date. I'll prepare a delicious gourmet meal for you in my own home with fava beans and a nice Chianti. Who do you guys have? The name that kept popping into my head when I was trying to think of the psycho guy. Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> Hannibal Lecter. And the last one. You'll always find me out in nature. No takes for clue number one, huh? Okay, clue number two. I'm looking for an active surfer girl to join me for beach dates. Uh, lock in? I'll lock in. Chris and Tommy are locking in. <laughs> All right, this is the third clue. <laughs> One night with me and you'll be dripping wet. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Was that your answer, Tommy? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I want this to be Sharknado. <laughs> All right. Do we have any guesses? Is it surfing Dracula? No. It's Jaws. Oh, it's Jaws. Oh. Tommy has Jaws. That is indeed the shark from Jaws. His name is Bruce. Sharknado would also be perfectly acceptable. That would have been acceptable. That was my answer. And it jumped the gun on my follow-up question, which was, what is the name of the shark from Jaws? Bruce. <laughs> yeah, and it was named Bruce by the film crew members in reference to Steven Spielberg's lawyer, Bruce Raymer. Thanks so much for playing. Even monsters need love. Tommy, you have another segment for us. This is based on something that did frighten me. So has anyone heard of a game called Eternal Darkness Sanity's Requiem? A video game or? Yes. That's a very metal concatenation of words. It's a great, great title. Eternal Darkness Sanity's Requiem is a very weird game. It came out in 2002 for the GameCube, which is not a console known for horror. So the documentation of this thing was not everywhere. And it is very, very meta. The game is kind of like a Resident Evil third-person game. The protagonist, a young woman, discovering her family has roots in fighting this ancient demonic force. And so you play different characters in her family's lineage, going through different eras like World War I and even all the way back to ancient Rome to sort of set the tone of the story. Now, you have a health bar and you've got magic, but you also have a thing called a sanity meter. And the sanity meter... Whenever a monster snuck up on you or certain things would happen that would mess with your sanity, the game would in turn mess with you, the player. It would start out subtly and very small. It would be weird sound effects. It would be more a monster might appear on screen and disappear. But as it got more severe, it would mess with you by, let's say, making it look like the TV screen turned off. By making <sighs> it look like the volume was turning off. <laughs> the game is gaslighting you. Yes, it would make it seem like the game had erased the save file or you were only playing the demo. It had so many effects that were specific to different levels and it messed with me so much that I could only play it during the day because I was so freaked out because I was literally playing it at night and I thought I was sitting on the TV remote because the volume was looking like it was going down. And I was <laughs> like, wait, what? And I was freaked out. Yes, the game is deliberately messes with you and it is brilliant. And I'm sad they have not done a sequel. But there is some really messed up stuff, including the sounds of babies crying. There is a fly flying around on the inside of the screen. Like, they are messed up, and it is brilliant. I love cursed objects. 
Yeah, it is one of the most frightening things. The thing is, Nintendo struggled to release it because they were worried that people would think the hardware was defective or it was pointing out that the system itself was broken. And they were worried that people would then take to resetting their consoles, unplugging things. It is magical that it even got released. What a troll move, like the ultimate troll. <laughs> I mean, it is called Sanity's Requiem for a reason. Like, your own sanity it comes into question. And the idea of playing this game at night, I will always have fond memories of this game. So if anyone wants to play it, it, it doesn't hold up quite as well. It is a clunky early 2000s game. It is begging for a remaster or a sequel. But watch videos of it and read reactions, because there's nothing quite like having played it at the time and having these things mess with your head, especially at night when you're a kid. Oh, that was a great segment. I have one more game. It is called B-Sides. And basically, I'm going to read you a title and you will tell me if this is the name of an actual escape room or a horror B-movie. And you can all just free for all shout it out, whatever you want to guess. The first one is Zombievers. Eek. Zombievers. <laughs> movie. B-movie. B-movie. I don't think you have to eat, Chris. I think oh. you can I think you can just shout it out. Well, I did it anyway. <laughs> Chris is going to be really good at this game. Oh, no. He knows. He knows all of them. He knows too much. It is indeed a movie from 2014. A fun weekend turns into madness and horror for a bunch of groupies looking for fun in a beaver-infested swamp. It's a damn movie. <laughs> Ooh. All right. How about Rest Easy Motel? That sounds like an escape room. Rest Easy yeah, Motel. Escape room. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to say escape room. It is from Game On Escape Rooms in Cary, North Carolina. You are stranded on the side of the road during a freak storm. Just up the road, you see the Rest Easy Motel, where guests check in but aren't known for checking out. How about Scarecrow Valley? Ooh, that sounds like a game. B movie. Game. All right, Tommy's saying game. David's going movie. Chris is saying game. I'm gonna say game. It is indeed an escape room from ER and Lock Me on the island country of Cyprus. You're a group of friends organizing a trip to the countryside, and as you are driving along a secluded road. You are surrounded by a thick fog and you crash with no other choice. You get out of the car, but soon realize you're at the entrance of the village, Scarecrow Valley. Let's try Saturday the 14th. <laughs> That's a movie. That's, That's definitely good. a movie. <laughs> that is a movie for sure. Uh, yeah, I, I'm definitely going movie. <laughs> It is a movie from 1981. A family inherits an old mansion which houses the dangerous book of evil that has all the monsters of the world trapped inside it. I would have guessed anything that this was an 80s movie. That is that is a mouthful of a title and a plot. That's just shoehorning everything in. <laughs> I love the name of that. Saturday the 14th. Okay, how about this? Night of the Lepus. Lepus? Lepus? Is that a rabbit? It's got sharp, pointy teeth. I think it's a game. It's close to wolf, which is like lupus, so maybe it it's is never lupus. a translation. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> uh, maybe it's like a, a translation, and it's just the the word is different than it is in English or Latin. I'm going to say game. I'm, See, I'm going to say movie. It feels like a Night of the Comet kind of situation. So... Chris, once again, it is a movie and, in fact, is the only movie from this list that I have ever seen <laughs> because I used to love watching these horror movies in the 80s. This is actually from the 70s. It's from 1972 about giant mutant rabbits that were terrorizing the Southwest. Yes, I'm right. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but Lepus is Latin for hair. <laughs> That's a great oh, cast. I'm looking it up right now. What a cast. Yeah, there's so many shots of bunnies that are just shot with perspective, normal rabbits uh, jumping around miniature sets. This sounds like a Monty Python and the Holy Grail prequel. Yes, I would totally play that game. There was like a whole subset of these horror B-movies that were all about, you know, invasion of the worms or like it, it was all the animal horror movies. And I used to love watching these. 
There's a lot of insect themed ones specifically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. How about E equals MC scared? E equals MC scared. Ooh. I'm going to say game. Yeah, it's got to be a game. Yeah, that sounds great. I'm saying movie. <laughs> Chris isn't making a choice. Whatever. Yeah, no. Yeah, I want to play it or yeah. watch it. It's fine. <laughs> the titles are so good for all of these, but th- this is an escape room from Xcape in Xmouth in the UK. I'm doing poorly. <laughs> Last thing you remember, you were on your way to school. Now you've woken up in a cage, locked up by your mad scientist teacher, Professor Von Doomington. <laughs> Yeah, fair. Very good. <laughs> what about Santa Claus? Hmm. C L A W S. That's a movie. That's a movie. That's a movie. <laughs> yeah, definitely a movie. <laughs> I've never heard of this movie. It is from 1996. A B horror movie actress is stalked by a deranged fan bent on claiming her for himself. That also sounds like a very 90s movie. Where does Santa come in? Yeah, where. I've got two more. I don't know if I'm pronouncing any of these right. It is Nyctophobia, Fear of the Dark. That feels like a I game. I think that's a game. That definitely sounds like game. I would say game. Sounds like a dark game. It is an escape room from Omascape Canada in Ontario. The current housing shortage in the city has made you consider a house in the country. <laughs> Your real estate agent takes you to see the perfect bargain property, an abandoned home that's been left in excellent condition. In fact, it's almost like the original residence never left. And the last one is Corpse Gallery. I'm going to go movie. Yeah, I'd say game. I'm going to go game. I'm going to go movie. Corpse Gallery is an escape room from Escape in Barcelona, Spain. In 1985 in Barcelona, several murders spread fear among the population. They all have something in common. The victims always missed a part of their body. The murderer has never been found and the case has been abandoned. Recently, some workers discovered a room in a place full of strange works of art. The police have sent a group of experts to investigate. Do you think the killer painted with Mummy Brown? <laughs> In the corpse gallery. There you go. That was B-Sides. Great job, guys. Well oh, done. Really fun. That was well a good one. done. <laughs> and so our last segment is coming from Chris. Cue lightning strike. <laughs> Now, this is a bit of a spooky story, so if that kind of thing isn't your jam, you may want to kind of skip ahead in the podcast a little bit. I don't know if this story's true, but this is what I've heard. Five years ago, on a night just like tonight, in a town just like your town, four friends decided they wanted to play an escape room. They searched online and found one nearby. The website claimed that it was the exciting new entertainment craze, but also so much more. Among the list of themes, the friends were entranced by one game. The Haunted Magician's Office. What fun, they thought. This was the perfect (laughs) theme for a brisk October evening. (laughs) The description was fantastical and exciting, but there was something missing. As they searched and searched through page after page in the website, they could only find stock photographs. There was not one single image of the venue to be found. (laughs) Only green screened actors in staged photos in front of various locales, cartoon drawings of fantastical locations, and poorly photoshopped movie posters from last summer's blockbusters. But the business had five stars on Google, so it had to be great, right? (laughs) The three friends booked the game. Later that evening, As it began to grow dark, they followed the directions on their GPS and arrived at an abandoned industrial park. Not a soul could be seen. (laughs) The scariest, (laughs) the scariest part. Cue lightning strike. (laughs) It was okay, though. The friend who booked had just received an email that explained the location was in the warehouse district. And if the booking was after five, it would be pretty dark. Rent was probably much cheaper here. But... As they grew closer and closer to the pin on their phone's map, they got worried. It was 8.12. 
Their appointment was for 8.30, but they had been sternly warned to get there at 8.15 to sign waivers, so time was of an essence. Would they make it? Just then they rounded the corner and there it was, a singular light in a row of closed offices. They had arrived. As they walked in, never more confident of their skills, ability, and punctuality, they looked up and saw a grisly sight. There was a desk in the waiting room, and above the desk, there was a leaderboard. <laughs> <laughs> On the leaderboard, they Get saw out, the name of flag. their game. <laughs> and next to the name of their game, they saw their doom. It took a moment to sink in, but their spirits were dashed. This would not be the exciting night of puzzles and adventure they'd hoped for. Written in dusty chalk on the leaderboard was their imminent, inescapable demise, for they saw the room only had a 20% escape rate. <laughs> what year is it? <laughs> Nonetheless, they steeled themselves and rang the bell on the desk. After a moment, an attendant popped out from another room and briskly mentioned his name was Jeff. They should sign the waiver and he'd be right back. Jeff returned, but with him came more disturbing news. They couldn't start immediately. For you see, even though the friends had arrived at 8.15, they couldn't begin. Unbeknownst to them, they were playing the haunted office, not by themselves, but there were two others signed up for that time slot. Get out! Get out! Jeff went to the back again, and the friends waited and waited. As the clock struck 8.30, the door opened, and two teens walked through. It appeared to be a first date. Uh, they were giddy with awkwardness and inside jokes and kisses and snuggles and the like. Jeff talked them through check-in and then took the newfound team down the hall to their game. He stopped outside a door and painted a vibrant tapestry of lore and story under the hallway's fluorescent lights. <laughs> Uh, the office you're about to enter belonged to a magician in the 1940s and was haunted, he said with a smile, and he uh, tossed them a walkie-talkie and opened the door, and the friends in the first date couple walked in. Jeff's final words were, you're looking for a key to escape? Talk to me on your walkie-talkie if you need any hints. Good luck. With that, Jeff closed the door and turned the lock the newly assembled compatriots were locked in and on their own. They surveyed the scene. Quite a bit of Ikea furniture for the 1940s and not a whole lot of haunting. The room seemed more like a regular office than a haunted magician's office. But nevertheless, the team got to work. As they revealed combinations and solved puzzles, one friend found something quite perplexing, a strange number under the desk moments later. Another found a number on the side of a painting, and another under the rug, another on a lamp, and another inside a dog-eared book that was bent in the way that it almost always just opens on a specific page, whether you have any instructions to open it to that page or not. This continued until they had seven numbers, but what to do with them? One of the teens found a strange outline on the wall. It looks like something had been screwed in there, but had been removed. A line of wear and dust led from the outline to an empty telephone jack on the wall. It was perplexing, but undeterred, the team wrote down the numbers and continued solving puzzles across the room. About 40 minutes later, one friend exclaimed, I finished the Sudoku, just in time for another to find a singular black light with a dying battery. <laughs> they gathered around the unintentionally flickering light as it revealed a pig pen cipher, <laughs> which helped the team to decode a five-letter word, S P. E L L. <laughs> that word opened a locked box to reveal the key that unlocked the door for their escape. That must have been the magic spell that dispelled the ghost, the, the group thought as they emerged in the hallway victorious. As they walked down the hall to the lobby, the game master popped out of the controlled room. Uh, oh, did you guys make it already? Wow, that was so fast. Did you have fun? <laughs> <laughs> they all say yes automatically without thinking too much about it. Jeff smiles and continues, no one ever solves the Sudoku without a hint. I have to get back to the other game I'm running, but good night. Make sure to leave us a five-star review and your next game is 50% off. 
The implications of everything he said sank in. The four friends said the requisite courteous goodbye to the teens and went to the door. But then they paused. What about those numbers? We never used those numbers. The numbers were all over the room and must have meant something. And and what about that peculiar telephone-shaped outline on the wall? Was it a coincidence? Were they all just bizarre red herrings? They turned to ask Jeff, but Jeff was gone. No, no, wait. They they could see him in the Game Master room, but it looks like he's giving a hint to another team over this walkie-talkie. They probably shouldn't bother him. Oh, he looked. He saw them. Okay. He, he quickly gets up and comes to the desk, and the friends ask about the numbers. Those numbers, Jeff says. There hasn't been a puzzle using those numbers here for two years. <laughs> the three friends eventually left that escape room and got back into their car, forever haunted by the knowledge that those clues persisted in the game. They'd go on with their lives, but those clues would remain unsolved forever. And that was the tale of the ghost puzzle. (laughs) Oh, bravo, bravo. (laughs) Masterwork. Terrifying. Get me out. (laughs) Chills. Genuine chills. Oh, that was so good, Chris. The enthusiasts everywhere are haunted, chilled to the core. Good luck being able to get to sleep after that, folks. Chris, you're a monster. Yeah. It was taking literally all of the effort that I had in my body to not laugh and to not say anything <laughs> over the microphone to ruin Chris's take. <laughs> Watching you like dying in the backdrop of yeah. him recording was, was also something I wish everyone could see. You were the visual Ed McMahon. Thank you guys so much for joining me for the first ever spooktacular special variety show. Do you guys have any new projects or any new games that you want to share or talk about? Since we last talked, we opened our sci-fi game Rise of the Icarus, which is a space epic at CU Adventures. It's very technologically advanced. We're really proud of how well it turned out. And it really feels like you're flying a spaceship, which is pretty dang cool. Yeah, we'll have a few puzzles that I believe will be orderable for the Christmas holiday season two, uh, foremost of which is still solve our shirts. Uh, We do not have a new shirt this year, but uh, Escape from the Maze of the Minotaur and uh, the Treasure Trove of Pirate's Cove are still available. And they're great. Everyone should buy them. Yeah, they make great Christmas gifts. I've sent them when we do like gift swaps because it's just the price point is great and it's really fun and unique. But yeah, if we're lucky, we may have another uh, little surprise as it gets closer to Christmas, too. We're hoping. Let us know if there's anything there. I'll make sure to pop it into the show notes. Tommy, how about you? What else have you been up to besides getting married? I am teaching a class at Art Center here in Pasadena on escape room design. So that is fun. We just wrapped up week four. And it is really exciting because the students are guinea pigs taking a class on basically starting from scratch on how to approach designing a game and the semester will end with a 20 minute experience that they are designing from scratch that they have to design as teams. So they have an eight by eight space. Basically they have to make a experience in that they will build design and run and test themselves. So it's really fun. That's amazing. Is listening to this podcast part of their homework. Yes, actually I've been requesting that they listen to this. I've sent them recon talks. I sent them escape this podcast talks, everything that is useful, absolutely. So if they're listening to this now, they get 10 bonus points if they bring up that they heard me on this podcast. Uh, just kidding. Yeah, kids. Professor Tommy is famous. I hope you appreciate that. No. And, and and leave us a five-star review. <laughs> yes, do that. The cool thing is that I am having them write papers on playing games. So I've just got my first batch. And the reason I'm having it, I'm not an English teacher. Like the point is the paper is there to document their understanding of game design and appreciating it both as a customer and a designer. So it's cool seeing them play games and basically relate how it worked and being aware of all the stuff that passive consumers take for granted. The idea that you don't actively play as a critic when you're also absorbed in the fun of it. So it's cool to get them in that mindset of analyzing experiences from a, you just did it, how effective is it? And I was really impressed with their early analyses, and they're hopefully just going to get better. Oh, so they're playing games the way David does. (laughs) 
I am so yeah. excited about this. It seems to be there's an explosion in academic programs like about escape room and immersive theater specifically. And I love... First of all, I love that there are kids out there that are learning this stuff in ways that are very different than how we learned it. But it also is such a like legitimization of the industry in ways that are really, really cool. I'm so excited about programs like this. Well, the, the one thing that my goal was, was if students never design an escape room in their lives, I want them to walk away with applicable skills. And it is interesting being able to show all the translatable skills of what it takes to be aware of even scenic design and storytelling with environmental design, being able to watch people playtest an experience and get feedback both from their interaction with the piece, but also with talking to them afterwards, like the applicable skills to anyone designing anything is something that I want regardless of what discipline they're in. So it's cool. I have students from product design and from concept art, filmmaking. Every program at the school could have taken this class. So I have game designers, but I have a lot of people outside of that field. When people are interacting together, it's really magical to see the perspectives they're bringing to designing experiences and story and puzzle design. And just, yeah, all the different skills it takes to combine an environment that captures a space and brings you in. So it's cool hearing them discuss. We just discussed diegesis and mimesis in design. And the fact they actually now not only understand those concepts, but are able to talk about what do they want to lean towards, going more realistic or going to more stylized for the sake of gameplay. And it's cool that these are now discussions about how to design things. So it makes me really excited that there's a foundational approach to design that I'm hoping that whatever skill they go in pursuing life creatively, this like foundation is going to serve us on purpose. I'm so excited to see what this next generation of escape room designers is going to come up with because they don't have to force gump their way <laughs> into <laughs> puzzles and escape rooms the way you guys did, right? <laughs> well said. That's amazing. Well, good luck. Thank you guys so much for coming on. Thank you to our listeners. I hope you enjoyed this show. It's a little bit of a departure from our usual episodes, but if you enjoyed it, drop me a line or leave a review. Love to hear from you. This episode of Reality Escape Pod is produced by Teresa Piazza with support by Lisa Spira. PG Law wrote and edited it. Music by Ryan Elder, logo by Janine Proct, and all of this is brought to you by RoomEscapeArtist.com, your home for well-researched, rational, and reasonably humorous escape room and immersive gaming content and events. You've made it to the end of the episode. I'm guessing that you had a good time because otherwise you would have bailed. How about you go and take that good time straight over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. Help other people find what we're doing. It really helps us out. And think about who you just helped out by helping them find a podcast that they're really going to enjoy. Go do it. Do it now. Thank you. Well, folks, it is that time. You know exactly the one I'm talking about. It's the one where the desperate content creator tells you, please, please join our Patreon, please. I know you hear it from everybody, but it means so much to us. The amount of time and energy and money that we put into producing shows like this to the degree that we produce them and all of the other things that we're doing, it's just takes a lot and our patrons every single one of them matters at every single level so if you have the money available and it's not going to be a hardship for you please consider backing us on patreon and if it is going to be a hardship please don't and backing us at the $5 level gets you access to the RIA Discord, and it also gets you our bonus after show. The show goes on for like another 40 to 50 minutes usually. A lot of times we have the guests joining us. I mean, that's, that's longer than that cup of coffee will last you. At the $15 level, you also get access to our Spoilers Club. Here, we take deep dives into iconic, well-known escape rooms, and we're joined by the creators who come in and gives us exclusive behind-the-scenes, director's cut-style commentary. This is some of my favorite content to produce because I love talking about escape rooms in full. You can learn more at patreon.com slash roomescapeartist link in details in the show notes. 
We'd like to thank our highest level patrons, Panic Room, Escapism, Olivier Escape, Jonathan Driscoll, Breakout Games, Derek Tam, Joshua Rosenfeld, Byron Delmonico, Keystone Escape Games, Scott Olson, Paula Swan, Rex Miller, and the Ministry of Peculiarities. Thank you for your ongoing support. So when we first got Stash House, the space we had was in very, very bad shape. It was called Pink Ribbon. It was a dress shop that the owner had just abandoned. So it was in really bad condition. And I went to the city to pull permits and to get a floor plan that what the city had. We knew where the end of the property. And yet there's a door that is on the outside next to where we are. And I'm like, this doesn't make sense. This door's to this property, and yet we're the end unit. So why is this here? What does this door go to? It is sealed shut. It has not been open in decades, it looks like. One night we're working, and it's like midnight, and I grab one of the clothing rack bars, and I just, just start attacking the wall to poke through to see what's behind it. And behind it is, in fact, a door. It is a glass door. I crawl through this hole. It is like midnight. I have a flashlight on and there's no one else around and it is terrifying. Dawn and I are peeking through and I crawl in this hole and there is a stairwell with an old school like 1960s wheelchair seat that moves up and this stairwell is dusty as hell and I'm like, what is this? Tommy won't even come to scary escape rooms with us, but he'll do this. (laughs) I regretted crawling in there. It was terrifying. But I'm like, what is up there? And I see up the stairwell, you can tell this was the original entrance to the building. And there is just dust everywhere and has not been used for decades. But I see a door along the stairwell. I'm like, that door connects upstairs in our upstairs space. So we run upstairs and we were able to move stuff out of the way and reveal, yes, behind a hidden wall, there is indeed a doorway into that stairwell. So I open the door and I go on the stairwell. I look up. And there is someone staring at me. Jump scare, what? <laughs> Anna's I, <freaking> out. <laughs> I freeze, my heart stops. And when I shine my light on him, it, it is an old Korean Buddhist monk. And he just looks at me and walks away. So turns out this connected directly to the monastery that is at the very top of the building. And he heard us making noise and came to look and then he just walked away. <laughs> it scared me so much. At that point, I thought I was going to die. I came back in, I was very pale, and Don thought I was crazy. Turns out the next day, the Korean monk came by. He didn't speak a lick of English. He knocked on the door, he said hello, and then he poked around to see what we were doing. And so he showed him some of the hidden stuff we were building, and he's like, oh, James Bond. That's the only English you know. But yeah, I'll never forget that moment of exploring that backspace for the first time. And I think probably almost collapsing from a heart attack. 